Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. Today on the Whole Whale podcast, we have a returning guest who may, if I'm right, Maybe setting the record for the the most uh, appearances on the whole L podcast, episode fifty, the data behind donor retention, episode one fifty three, analytics answer who are my donors, and episode one fifty nine, survive the nonprofit software business prop. We always appreciate your candor, your willingness to come on the show to talk about it. And this is Rob Wu, of course, the CEO, founder of Causevox. He has been diligently working in the sector, I believe, at least on Causebox since 2011. 2010, officially. Officially 2010. Uh, actually, also the same year that Whole Whale was founded. So uh, we were joking before we turned on record of our, our various uh, check-ins with each other over the years. And uh, we're, still, we're still doing it, Rob. I'm so happy you're still alive, George. But, thanks, man. You know, we'll, we'll continue to, to check in over the years. I brought you... Uh, in today, though, because you are always looking for the upside for the nonprofits using Causevox. You're trying to stay on, you know, the, the practical, I'll say the practical cutting edge of how to raise more money for great causes. And so I was hoping you could share a bit on what you have been focused on this year with regard to major gifts. Yes. How I see it in terms of my mission is that I'd rather be useful than to be sexy. I'd rather be valuable rather than to be a unicorn. So if you look at the field of all the animals there are, of all these analogies, I'd rather be a zebra than a lion or a unicorn or whatever fancy animals there are. So yeah, starting Causevox over a decade ago, you know, we came into this, uh, to this business to become a digital fundraising platform because there's a big gap between technology and fundraising where a lot of nonprofits couldn't go online. They didn't know how to do it. They didn't know how to utilize all the ways of social media fundraising, digital fundraising, peer-to-peer fundraising, uh, this and that. So it's been a great journey to help accelerate that piece of digital fundraising and by bringing more and more organizations online and where we had some of our best years of growth and it, it hit over COVID, unfortunately, where a lot of organizations were transitioning into digital fundraising. As we see the next steps of what's coming up, I think one of my biggest frustrations is that a lot of organizations see online fundraising as a siloed approach where they think, hey, I need to run an event. I need to run a gala. I need to do peer to peer fundraising. I need to be on Facebook. And they kind of just feed uh, that style of fundraising as a one and done thing. They don't look at it as a process of how you can grow donors, of how you can grow gifts, how you can upgrade folks up the pipeline to become major donors. So I went on this quest to figure out when you're looking at major donors, how do folks actually get major donors? How do they qualify them? How do they really work through this process to grow a small $100 gift? all the way to a $100,000 gift. And the results of this are actually really surprising where it gave us a lot of inspiration behind what we should build next when it comes to major gift fundraising. 
that makes uh, it makes a lot of sense. And as you're as you're building this, this approach, the way I guess I look at it is that if you're ignoring, if you're ignoring the major gift strategy of your digital fundraising, you are missing out on easily half of the potential revenue you could and should be making. What did that actually mean? If you have a hundred donors, I can very confidently tell you that there is probably a power law distribution of their wealth and capacity to give. Fancy way of saying that 10% of them have 90% of the wealth because frankly, that's just how the things in America are carved out thanks to capitalism. The question that you should ask next is, who are those people? And what should we message them? So maybe you could pick up the thread there. Is yeah. it just, you know, smiling down and be like, hey, you have money, give now, please, more. Right, right. It's kind of funny. Like, so I did this huge research quest to to speak to over 100 people on major gifts. So I talked to uh, over 100 people who are either major gift officers where the day-to-day is just about talking to rich people and trying to secure donations, all the way to major donors who have carved out half a million dollars or more to give annually to give to organizations. So across the board, I've talked to like a lot of folks. And what's really interesting is that it's, it's less about the message itself. Yes, having a compelling story and follow up and the exercise and activity of reaching out to prospective major donors is important. But what's actually more important is understanding what the process looks like. Having a complete process of taking a mass donor, which is someone who gives 50 bucks, $100 at your Facebook fundraising or your your gala, that kind of thing. And having them have a strong cycle and process and methodology of identifying who are the folks that I should be reaching out to as my short list of major gift prospects so I can grow them in all conversations with them. On one end, you have a lot of folks who do events and mass fundraising and crowdfunding and peer-to-peer. On the other end, you have just a short portfolio of 100, 150 people uh, where uh, those are just like your prime targets. And essentially, you're just kind of reaching out to them and trying to secure meetings and tell them your story. It becomes a very one-on-one sales process, like for a better work. And there's a huge gap in the middle where I've also identified that for mid-level donors, nobody knows what to do with them. So that part gets severely ignored. And when you look at Parallel, which is kind of the distribution of, of uh, how handful of donations can have astronomical impact on your fundraising, uh, the, the, the top matters a lot. Like major donors matter so much where you get a $50,000, $100,000 gift, that's transformational in terms of a small organization. Or if you get a number of mid-level gifts, which is around 5, 10K each, getting a handful of those, that's also transformational. But then when you look at mass level gifts, if you get additional five more donations of $100 each, that's not transformational anymore. So it's kind of interesting where a lot of folks focus too much time on the mass, not enough time on the major, and no time at all on the mid-level donors. So they're missing huge opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that's the graduating donors, I think, is maybe one of the terms I've heard used in the past. How do we upgrade our donors from this level to the next level? But also acknowledge that, like, guess what? You know, somebody who's given 50 bucks, maybe, maybe not, is there, you know, wealth engine type stuff? I know wealth engine is a company. I know there's other uh, data pools out there. Does that bring any extra information to you? Or do you prefer just to look at this, 
spread of donation amounts. Say like, all right, here's my bucket of people that donated it on hundred. As you mentioned, like, oh, this person donated a thousand. That's interesting. Maybe I'd have a talk with them. Which way do you like to go? Yeah, if you have the resources and the time, the ability is to do both approaches. That's where some of the organizations, they, they really flourish because they have just a lot of different data pools to dive into. Of course, one of them would be like using folks like DonorSearch and Wealth Engine and iWave. And to provide great kind of just wealth screening data where you can pipe out data into their services and come back with a rating in terms of the properties that a donor owns and if they have more propensity to give, you know, that kind of stuff. But really, mm -hmm. when I a lot of major gift folks, that data is directional at best. So it's not very mm -hmm. accurate. So the most accurate information actually is previous giving history. So if you have giving history of a donor, uh, the two things that typically uh, are really great indicators of a great major donor prospect, one would be is their, their loyalty, meaning that are they being retained year after year? If a donor is donating year after year, whatever the amount, they already meet a qualification of, they support your organization, they know something about it, they have shown this intent to give, and they're just tied to you. So they will be a great prospect. The additional layer you can layer on top is actually giving them out. So donors that give it over $1,000 typically be the threshold. All right, I'm back. I really like how you're talking about the behavior it's something that I consistently try to pull our clients toward, our teams toward in terms of finding insights, which are less about what public data we've scraped and more about show me the behavior. Is this person acting with someone who cares? Are they showing the capacity to give through their actions? Because truth be told, a lot of this wealth data is essentially address zip code based. They just pull it up and look at like, oh, they live in this zone and live in this reason. They don't even talk about the, the reason they may have given, which is maybe it was a, a one and done check because, you know, someone's nephew wrote them one time and they don't really have a emotional connection to the organization. So, right, like starting with your, your own data in your backyard, as you talked to these fundraising experts, I'm wondering what is the most common way of starting that conversation of like, hey, you've got a lot of money and seem to care about us. How about more? Like, what is the shape of that? What does the cold, warm intro look like? Yeah, so ideally you're starting with a set of folks that have already donated to your organization. So you're looking at your own uh, donor pool, whether you have 200 donors or 2,000 donors or 20,000 donors, which is whatever. Uh, whatever you're looking at, you're starting with these quote-unquote warm donor prospects who've given something to your organization so they know something about you. So it's not a cold type of outreach. It's something that is more about uh, having a conversation with somebody that uh, knows what you do. So you start with that, kind of formulate a list of folks. Typically, if you're looking at doing major gifts full-time, you can reasonably work only around 150 folks uh, as part of your portfolio. So it has this account management focus where you shortlist a list of folks who uh, given to your organization uh, several years in a row that given over, let's say, $1,000 or whatever that threshold is. It could be higher if you're a larger organization, lower if you're a smaller organization. You come up with a list of folks. If you do have the ability to bring in some of the wealth data uh, that we just mentioned, then you can use that to segment even more until you get to a point where you have 150 people that you can work on for a year. So 
after you have that list, then what you want to do is uh, basically qualify. So your goal is to get to a qualification meeting with the donor. Qualification meeting just means that you have a conversation with the donor uh, to better understand in, uh, the capacity to give as well as their affinity to give. So th there's two points. Capacity to give would be uh, bas this basic understanding of uh, how much wealth they have. Is, is this somebody who has the ability to give more than $1,000? Like, can they give $10,000? Can they give 50? Can they give a million? Basically having a conversation, asking some questions to better understand what, essentially what is their wealth and not in those direct terms would be the first part. The second part would be understanding the affinity to give. Uh, why did they give to your cause in the first place? Is it because they're personally tied to your organization's work? Or was it because a friend asked a friend? Or something else in some other circumstance? So be to better understand, essentially, the affinity to give. I also like to add in a, a few additional qualifications to it based on my conversations with actual major donors who are donating hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. Uh, one is, the third one would be intent to give. So someone who has an intent to give, uh, that is typically a lot stronger than someone who does not have the intent to give. Intent is essentially what I, is an indicator of generosity. So someone who says, hey, uh, I have a donor advice fund. I'm trying to spend it down every year. And uh, I already give as part of my culture, of my process, as part of my family values then that person has a stronger intent to give and, are, and will be more likely to give all else being equal. And the second uh, qualification that I want to add in is around budget. A lot of major donors that I talk to, they actually have carved out budgets for giving. So when they look at their plans, look at their cash flow, uh, they look at their donor advice fund or kind of whatever they have, they think about, okay, I have a budget I, and I want to donate $300,000 a year. So, and they try to figure out, how do I do that? I give to the folks that I already give to, yes, but then I still have a chunk of it that I'm trying to figure out who to give to. So uh, in other instance, my framework for qualification is called BAIT, B-A-I-T. Yeah, the budget, the affinity, the intent, and you also need to have the timeliness to give as well, like talking to somebody at the right time. That, that would be the last point I didn't really touch on, which is around uh, this idea of like, did something happen? where they, they come into a liquidity event where someone sold their business or they had a windfall of some sort. So a lot of major donors I talk to uh, come to that point where they're like, hey, I just sold my business. I have a lot of millions to uh, to give away. Uh, now is the right time for me to get an ask from a nonprofit. So yeah, and being top of mind in that moment is probably pretty valuable. So after you have this qualification framework and kind of the screening, then really becomes an exercise of saying, out of these 150 people that I have on my list, do they check the boxes in terms of uh, being qualified for BAIT? And if they do, then I will make an ask. So it's as simple as that. The hard part, though, is actually reaching out to each one of the 150 donor prospects and trying to get that conversation so that you can qualify them to get to a point where you can make an ask. Yeah, I imagine people are not itching to have a, a conversation like this. And I imagine it is packaged in a different way, such as talking about, you know, the how the organization plans to grow. Maybe it's a capital campaign. Maybe it's an upcoming event. It seems like there is more 
effective if you've got some sort of branded thing that you can talk about as opposed to give because it's Tuesday. Right, right. It's give because it's Tuesday is definitely not a good reason for major donors to give. A lot of the outreach that happens with major donors happens way beyond the giving season that follows every year. It's really about uh, thanking a donor uh, for making that initial uh, donation or series of donations and having a conversation with them to better understand why they give to the organization and how the nonprofit can better match uh, opportunities or present opportunities of giving to the donor. So, so that's really the key, getting that conversation, doing the qualification, and understanding if this major donor prospect would be a good person to make a bigger ask to. So a lot of it just revolves around just getting to know a donor. Yeah. And I mentioned, I mean, I just kind of threw out there the like events, a capital campaign, or maybe you're asking them, hey, it's the end of year. We're looking for someone to put up a matching gift that will help other people give. Are there other programmatic activities or types of packaging, I, I guess, that these conversations revealed as more successful than others, things that are trending more given the you know, shift in wealth or shift in uh, philanthropic interest? Yeah. yeah, I think what's really interesting, especially when I talk to major donors, they, they, they they profile the same as any other person that you talk to, where they're really interested in causes. They want to connect their dollars with making an impact. They want to hear a compelling story. So it's it's less specific about the time of the year and more about uh, what kind of programs are available. There is an information gap when it comes to major donors and major gift officers where major donors have the capacity to give. And they need to know what giving opportunities are out there because nonprofits never do a, good, a great job of presenting all the opportunities that someone can give because they're just limited to their, their tools that they have, like their website or social media. And then major gift officers need to figure out what makes a donor click and then presenting those opportunities. So I do think that there are you know, campaigns that organizations do. If you're doing a capital campaign, like building a building, that kind of thing, uh, that that is a great opportunity. But by and large, when it comes to major donors, uh, they're supporting the programs, uh, their annual funds, or just kind of whatever gap fundraising an organization needs. To yeah, the opportunity to to match that donor along their interest could be, you know, around a program something they are particularly passionate about inside the organization and like, hey, Here's an opportunity for a, a multi-year support of this program happening in this region that I know you're interested in. Mm -hmm. But it's about it's about matching that. But it does sound like a lot of work, right? This like tracking tracking down 150 people, having those conversations. Uh, but it does seem like you. I mean, you only need a hit rate of what five percent if they're the right gifts, right? Right. You only need a small hit rate. So that's why a lot of organizations invest so much staff time and effort into major gifts where if you just cure a handful of them then it's transformational as well as when when i look at uh fundraising folks development folks at an organization they're better equipped to have conversations and tell stories on a one-on-one -on -one basis than on a one-to-many basis uh, i think for a long time uh we're trying to we as kind of just an industry we're trying to transform 
kind of fundraising people who are really good at one-on-one communications and turn them into digital marketers where you're saying, hey, like learn how to do direct mail or learn how to do social media or learn how to put on large virtual events. So you're kind of forcing people out of like their skill sets or what they know the best and trying to push them into the kind of this mass fundraising. And I, I believe that if you're able to do mass fundraising well, or just do it okay, as long as you have a, 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 a steady inflow of new donors, you, you just kind of need to set some parameters and throw them at fundraising people so they can have these one-on-one conversations, get the major gifts, and use the power law effect to transform the fundraising results of the organization. I have this, this assumption that if you gave me the fundraising data of you know, a donor pool, I could calculate a projected potential upside for a large gift. Am I like, you know, am I on some sort of, you know, data island with this? Is this like an assumption too far? Because, you know, if you've seen one, you've seen one, or is it pretty immutable once you see like major gifts implemented over a period of time that you would get a distribution saying like, all right, if you have got, you know, 30% of your audience donating $100, here's your upside. Here's what's potentially sleeping in, in your backyard. Oh, for sure. I, I think you could completely forecast it given enough data set. Now, of course, if you're a small organization, let's say you only have 100 donors, then your distribution and your data forecasting is going to be grossly inaccurate. But once you get to uh, several thousand, tens of thousands of donors, then you can easily make assumptions and start forecasting. And then that's where things get interesting, where then you can know, oh, we need to talk to X amount of people every year because then we'll close a dozen major donors. And this is the implication of that forecast. I think that's helpful, especially if there's somebody listening that has a a standard, we'll say, sort of let people donate as they're going to donate. We'll go after grants and things like that. But individual donors are just, you know, fine at this uh, whatever level they want to access that. We have an annual event. But I think looking at it and saying like, you're leaving money on the table if you aren't seeing this type of power law in giving because it certainly exists in wealth. Is that a fair phrasing? Yeah, 100% fair. I, I think for a long time, uh, and this is one of my frustrations uh, at Cosmox, is that uh, we're empowering folks to do kind of these mass giving opportunities. But then there's not an easy way for folks to say, okay, now that I have these couple hundred donors that I got from my peer-to-peer or crowdfunding campaign, let me have an easy way to move them on and upgrade them into a major donor. Uh, so that's something that we're building towards to helping organizations have, have the right tooling so that they can reach out to folks, have those conversations, qualify them, track the stages, and eventually close on these major gifts. Does it make sense to be really trying to have those obviously qualifying conversations earlier in the year and then as you move to the end of the year when you know, uh, you know, tax advantages, especially for the rich, they're thinking about donations and making those final donations. Is it more extreme in that, like, you got to have those closing conversations in Q4 or are large net worth individuals just dealing with DAFs and it really doesn't matter when, when that gift is triggered? Yeah, it's more of a ladder. It's not as uh, important when it comes to time of the year. Uh, but you, but for, for most major gift plans, their work plans, it's based on an annual cycle, though, where at the beginning of the year, uh, they come up with a portfolio of folks to work, and then they figure out what is my work plan for each specific person? When am I going to reach out to them? 
and when I'm going to make an ask. But the asks come in on a rolling basis. Uh, some donors are qualified a lot faster, so they can make a proposal, send a proposal, make an ask for a major gift. While folks uh, sometimes just kind of drag it out, depending on time of the year. There is more urgency at the end of the year, typically speaking, but uh, I think for major donors, they really break this process. They're not molded into uh, the seasonal annual end of year giving. I think this is super helpful. And it's something that continually is on my mind because we work at various levels for digital fundraising, but also just for awareness building. But inevitably, it is looking at a marketing funnel where you're turning attention into interest as measured by emails, converting those folks into people that care enough to open their wallets. And then sometimes it can sort of be left at that point of the funnel, as opposed to saying, and the next phase is this. you got to have conversations. Your CEO needs to be set up with people that have been qualified to say, hey, here's our larger vision. And here's why I need a quarter million dollars to get there. That's right. I, I think it's the challenge right now is to make sure organizations are set up to have opportunities for major donors to donate. Uh, we're kind of presenting in that format is one of the big issues. I think the second big issue is that uh, organizations don't have the right tooling. Uh, I've been on this research quest and essentially folks have been telling me that when it comes to major gift fundraising, they just take data out of their database, their CRMs, and they just manage it in their head or in their spreadsheet when it comes to major gifts. So the, the work of someone who's touching major donors, it really isn't served by, by tools. So I think that's another gap too, where infrastructure, having the right tooling, having the right process built into the tools just aren't there for folks. And that's one of the reasons why folks don't do it. Well, it sounds like a, a great opportunity in natural evolution. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about how people find you and maybe some of these new tools that they can check out at causebox.com. Yeah, so at Causebox, we're launching a new product. The, the product name is called Morningside for now. <laughs> Probably need a better name. But the idea is that we want to build uh, a product geared towards major donors. So we call it a major donor workflow product. It essentially has three different tiers. Uh, three different pillars. The first pillar being that uh, you have a suite of outreach tools. So you can send emails, like one-on-one -on -one emails to donor prospects. You can text them. You can make calls. You can do all your outreach in one tool instead of depending on your phones or depending on your email system uh, so that you can track everything in one place. Uh, the second piece of it would be this idea around donor tracking, where you can track uh, what stage a donor is in from prospect all the way to committed and fulfilled. So you can easily see, hey, out of my portfolio of major donors, here are the folks that I've had meetings with. Here are the people who are qualified. Here are the people who've committed but haven't paid. And here are the people who paid. Uh, so you can easily see that, as well as you can apply different work plans to each donor, where you can chart out, uh, for this donor prospect, I'm going to touch them four times a year. Here are the dates that I'll touch them. It's basically like a, a uh, giant reminder list or to-do list that lets you easily just see what needs to happen on one day. Uh, and then the third pillar would be attaching payments. So just an easy ability for, for donors to, uh, to make a payment but uh, and have a customized uh, donation page, a commitment page for that, as well as if you're doing it offline, then they can send in checks or uh, forward that information to their donor advice fund uh, for a stock transfer, things like that. Uh, essentially, the idea is that we want to be end-to-end -end when it comes to major donors. So it's going to help folks not only automate, but accelerate their major gift fundraising. Awesome. 
Uh, really appreciate you walking through it and excited that you're going to be helping more organizations get a, get a bit more in their, uh, in their bank accounts. So thanks, Rob. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 